Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 420 Cross-Cultural Psychology with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Welcome to Unit 5, where we're going to talk about culture, language, communication, and also culture and health. We're going to uh, first look at uh, language and culture, and that um, the idea that culture and language are connected is really a, a very prominent idea in cross-cultural psychology. Um, language is a universal ability in all humans across all cultures. Is how we share our intentions, our thoughts, uh, beliefs with one another. And actually, language is what allows cultures to persist and to continue. And uh, if you've ever studied linguistics, you know that different cultures can have different languages. Um, one of my trips to India, um, I was in North India, but I had a South Indian assistant with me and he couldn't speak the languages in North India because there was like 1200 different languages just within that one country and they all represented different cultures. So humans, unless there's some developmental uh, issue, have the ability to acquire language. And so infants have an ability to produce a sound of phonemes, uh, pretty much the same phonemes across countries. These are the sounds that we make. Um, and but the production of sounds is really shaped by the interaction with others. So if a child speaks a phoneme in that cult that's used in that culture, um, it'll be rewarded, and the adult will smile and, and encourage the child to continue, which it will. And so, but if it's something that's not familiar to that language, it'll not be rewarded and eventually be dropped. So cultures set up their own rules of phonology, syntax, grammar, semantics, and grammatics. And for sake of this lecture, we're not getting into the details, but your book provides this. Um, so the influence between culture and language is shown through this diagram here. So culture influences our thoughts, our feelings, our motives, and we express those through our language. And we do that because we speak in the language of our culture, whether it's English or Spanish or, or whatever uh, language that we speak in. There's, um, that's all been shaped and provided to us through our culture. And the, the, even the words we make are shaping the ideas that we have regarding um, that culture and the language interaction between that. Some languages, if you were to study these um, talks, looks at how we refer to ourselves as um, different. You know, we in English, we usually just say I or me. And some languages, such as Japanese, have a, a much more elaborate system about how do you refer to yourself. Um, the um, Some languages have a, a big importance, high importance on how we honor others. If there's, um, for example, how do you talk to someone who is older than you versus someone who talks, you know, the same age or younger than you? We call that honorific speech. 
what honor do you give someone else in language? Um, the Sapir-Whorf theory or hypothesis is really the idea, it's been around since the 1930s, that different languages or speakers of different languages think differently because of the differences in their languages, that we actually, our cognition is different due to the language which we have. Now, in recent times, people have started to challenge that, and, um, but it still has some influence and still taught today that um, uh, according to one psychologist, Pinker said that thoughts can be formed without words and language. Um, but for others believe that you have to have words and language to think. How do we deal with nonverbal communication when we're not using words? We use that through facial expressions and characteristics, uh, our gestures and body postures. Uh, this picture is of a group of POW, prisoners of war, and they're actually trying to communicate to um, the United States, to people who'd see this picture by their hand gestures that they're using to, um, to get a message out about how they are and what they're doing. Um, Different cultures have the way about how much time do you spend uh, looking at someone in the eye or not looking at someone in the eye? Is it appropriate to touch or not? Um, there's different gestures. The one here is shown uh, touching your ears is an apology in Nepal. I had an episode when I went to Nepal to um, found out that the when we say our our gesture for yes in the United States is nodding your head up and down. Well, in Nepal, it's left and right. And so when I was giving, um, asking someone if this was enough money for a uh, cab ride, they went like this. And I thought, oh, he wants more. And I gave him some more. And he goes, you know, and then, okay, I'll give you some more. <laughs> it got to be kind of expensive. And so I later went, that was an ex, uh, expensive mistake on my part, where I learned that the expression that I thought meant yes actually meant uh, something else. The, um, so we, every culture actually has different uh, gestures that are appropriate for their culture and maybe uh, appropriate for one culture, but maybe offensive for another culture. How do we um, how do we do our use our voices, the tone, the intonation, the pitch, how fast we talk, how do, the use of silence? Different cultures actually place importance on this, where you can be with one culture and and the people are very animated and demonstrative in their speech and, and get very loud and talk in very fast rates and you and if you're not familiar with that, you think they're angry, but actually they're just having a normal conversation for their culture. Um, so, but we, we often know that speaking loudly is pretty universal for trying to get your point across. Um, but how we amplify speech and how we um, make public speeches are different for different cultures. Intracultural communication, which means how do we communicate with people in the same cultural background? We tend to use more slang, shortcuts, you know, things where we're not as um, 
where there's sort of agreed upon understanding of, of how that's, um, those words mean. But intercultural communication occurs between people of different cultural backgrounds when you're talking to someone from a different culture. So if you've ever gone to a different country or been involved with contact with someone from a different culture, you can realize that you may speak uh, the words correctly. You know, you may have studied Spanish or Hindi or, or whatever language that you're trying to get across, but there can be differences in the assumptions of, of similarities that we're assuming that there's a, a word, our word for this means the exact same um, word for there, you know, whatever we're referring to. Um, language differences about noun verb placement, nonverbal interpretations of how you present, how you say the word, the stereotypes that we have, precon uh, preconceptions that we have, our tendency to evaluate um, something, and then high anxiety or tension. Um, so, for example, in um, I've been in, um, I think it was Nepal again, where I asked if something would be ready the next day, and the person, the, the person I was talking with, said, "Yeah, it'll be ready." And it wasn't, and I was upset about that. And I realized eventually that in that culture, it was, you always agreed, whatever the, the customer wanted, you said yes to. Whether or not it would actually be ready or not was actually being rude to them by telling them it wouldn't be ready. You tell them yes, it'd be ready, and then, um, but it necessarily wouldn't be that. So dealing with different, cultures and language can often find uh, some conflicts uh, coming up. So when you're um, sending a message from one culture, from the speaker of one culture to another culture, you have what you intended and then you wrap it in the cultural message or packaging that you have, the culture you have. You give it to that other person and uh, you know, whether writing or speaking or something. So your message is packaged in your culture. The receiver is decoding that information. They're, un, they're unwrapping it, and but they're unwrapping it in their own culture. And it doesn't always match what the, the giver intended the receiver to have. And so there could be questions, sometimes confusion, sometimes anger, because it doesn't completely match up, even though they've been great made well-intentioned, it just didn't uh, come across that way. Um, those who speak ac English, actually, most of the world um, speak Ang English with at least another language. We in the United States tend to be monolingual. We tend only to speak uh, English. But other parts of the world know their native language, but also learn English as well. Uh, not everyone, of course, but those who are pursuing higher education. If you're a bilingual speaker, you're speaking not just two languages, but you're speaking two different cultures. And some research shows that uh, even your responses can be affected by the um, language that you're using for your conversations. They call it code frame switching, in which you switch from one cultural 
uh, meaning system to another dependent upon what language you're speaking. Now we're going to chapter 11, culture and health, and the differences between that. In the United States, an industrialized country, we, we look at uh, health through a biomedical model, meaning that we form a, a specific cause uh, abnormality of physical assault. So when you, you go to a, a hospital in the United States, you're put on a floor based off whatever your ailment is, your illness. If you have cancer, you go on a cancer floor. If you have um, heart condition, you go to a cardiac floor. And so we, we look at, we categorize things along what body part that is being affected. And um, now the biopsychosocial model looks beyond this and says, okay, disease is not just a physical component, but it maybe has a social component and a, and a psychological component as well. So um, there's many cultures view this as um, illness is really an imbalance between the different parts of uh, our environment, our body, our state of mind. And for example, in the Native American health system, the spirit is seen as important, and then the physical, mental, emotional, and social are all within that or surround that. And illness is defined as an imbalance in any one of these areas. Genetics has an importance with um, uh, health and uh, physical health and disease because people in a certain culture are typically genetically related to one another and whatever has been useful for survival in that culture is passed down to uh, one, you know, to the next generation. So if there is an introduction of an illness of, um, of some sort of disease, then that particular culture may be actually very vulnerable to that where uh, people from another culture, we, we know from history that our European explorers came to the United States or came to America and brought diseases that really uh, you know, decimated some of the Native American uh, cultures because they did not have a natural immunity to that disease. The, um, When you're, um, when you have a discrepancy between your personal values and those of the society, then it can produce stress. So if you feel like something is important, but your culture views something else as important, then that can be a source of stress. Um, and therefore, how do you cope with those needs? And how are you, what are your strategies for doing that? Uh, different cultures have different ideals about what is the ideal body shape for men and for women. And so for um, countries with lower socioeconomic status, they have a tendency to prefer heavier body shapes because that infers that you are, uh, you can afford to eat more. Um, those which have a higher socioeconomic status, like the United States, tends to prefer thinner bodies. How do we deliver our country's medical system, uh, healthcare systems? 
uh, probably from recent understanding about healthcare and in the United States, you may have heard that different cultures and different countries actually have different ways to go about uh, providing that. Um, is it more of an entrepreneurial where the medical community or healthcare is seen as a business, or is it more welfare oriented? Is it seen as something that is a right for all who are in part of that culture? Um, is it, um, and so different ideas, different technological advances, different ideas about how, uh, how we pay for this and who gets paid um, really has an influence about how healthcare is delivered. So in conclusion, a lot of um, the understanding of our cultural influences and health degrees is we have a role of genetics and then, you know, what have we received from our ancestors, um, our diet, you know, what's the food that's appropriate for that, um, that lifestyle, what, how, what's the role of exercise for that culture, what's the attitudes and beliefs, what are the healthcare delivery systems and what's the environment. All this interacts with each other to have an impact on our health and our disease. That ends Unit 5, and I'll see you next for Unit 6. Thank you.